Anna here. Did you know I have another podcast? And did you know it's all about failure? Well, at this point, you'd have to answer yes to both of those questions because I just told you. But my other show isn't just about failure. It's about failing your way to success. Yes, success. Because the most successful people are often just the people who've gotten up the most times after their failures. Don't believe me? Go download Fail Your Way to Success wherever you get your podcasts or go to failyourway.com for more info. Now back to the show. I wouldn't say we fell in love right away. I think we were, as they call it in the biz, trauma bonding. And then after eight years of being insufferably sober, I started drinking again. Addicts tend to be rather sensitive people. Aren't you Mark Maron? I'm like, yeah. And she goes, what happened to you? Hi, you're listening to Recover Girl. I'm your host, Anna David. This is a podcast about addiction and recovery. And... Right now, I'm about to play you, uh, you're going to listen not to an interview with uh, somebody about their addiction and recovery, but a story somebody's telling. And that somebody in this case is me. I host a storytelling show here in Los Angeles called Hammer Time. And I started doing this originally because I realized that lots of people don't read, but they will listen to you if you place them in a room and get on a stage. It's just what common courtesy. They'll do it. So we started doing this when I was at the site after party that I started. And it started to be very successful. And LA Weekly made us a pick of the week and standing room only. And I started to notice that these experiences of getting up every month and telling a story about my own ridiculousness was therapeutic. It was making me feel better and was also entertaining people. So I started doing this at treatment centers. It's called therapeutic performing. And I'm, t- I'm walking people through the process of doing that. If you uh, are associated with a treatment center or, or uh, want to, you know, maybe you work, maybe you own a treatment center. I don't know who you are. And you want to hire me to do that, go to annadavid.com slash workshop. And um, yeah, and so t- I'm actually going to, I've been posting these stories that are other people's stories, but I also tell stories at my storytelling show, so I'm going to introduce you to a very special guest. Her name is Anna David. She is the person you are listening to right now, and um, I hope you like my story. I'm going to bring up our next performer. She's the producer of this show. She is a New York Times bestselling author, editor-in-chief of In Recovery Magazine. Please make some noise for Anna David. much vomit, right? No, nobody here has ever vomited from drinking. Well, hello? Are you guys wake up a little bit. Wake <laughs> up for vomit? No? Okay. <laughs> now, I am, <laughs> my story is, um, like I said, it's a little, it's a little PG. Now, um, when I tell people that I used to smoke two packs of cigarettes a day, yeah, thank you. They look at me like you'd... I wish there was a spotlight, is what he just said. It is so... Do you know how hard it is to smoke two packs of cigarettes a day? That's 40 fucking cigarettes. So you have to basically... You have to, it has to be the first thing you do when you wake up. It has to be the last thing you do before you go to sleep. And that can be dangerous if you're, say, drunk all the time. And then you have to, like plan for it. You have to plan your day around it like you are on a combat mission, which essentially you are. And uh, it's like a full-time job, which 
conveniently, when I smoked that much, I had no job. So I could totally devote myself to this activity. Now, a lot of kids or kids who grew up to be adults like me take up smoking. But I don't know how many of them <laughs> remember driving their mom's car at the age of 16, having stolen one of mom's Merit ultralights, lighting the cigarette, looking in the you know, rear view mirror, exhaling and going, when I grow up, I'm gonna be a real smoker. <laughs> not, like, not like I'm gonna be a you know, media magnet, I'm gonna be, pre literally, that was the kind of hope I had for my future. I was like, I'm gonna be a real smoker. And none of this like stealing Merit ultralights from moms Mom, cigarettes. I'm gonna fucking smoke camel lights. I'm gonna smoke them all the time. And my, my wish came true. And, and I didn't actually even have to wait that long. I, um, I became a real smoker my freshman year in college. My dance class went to New York. I went to college in Connecticut. My dance class went to New York to perform with this professional company, which is so weird. And we actually got reviewed in the New York Times. And it, like, they called us, I think, an atrocious mess. We, um, we recited Yeats poetry and did like modern dance. It was so bad. But anyway, I stayed with these sophomore girls in Park Slope and they like really smoked. And I came back from that trip. I was like a real smoker and I felt really excellent about that, frankly. And, um, and, you know, and then it was like, as they say, off to the races. You know, I smoked through every boyfriend, every car ride, every... Um, everything I did, I smoked through. And um, certainly, like, I used to say I only um, ate meals and had sex so that I could have the after meal or after sex cigarette. Um, I really, I really, really, really loved it. And um, it, then fate intervened in the form of um, tonsillitis. Like, really bad tonsillitis. So the, the summer before my senior year in college, I got tonsillitis and I kept getting it. And it turns out that you will keep getting tonsillitis if you are smoking two packs of cigarettes a day and, like, drinking all the time. But I didn't get that. I would take the penicillin. I would take, a, like, a three-week round, and I would... And your, my symptoms would go away. And then literally the minute I would swallow the last pill, I'd be like, oh, my throat hurts. So I had it three times in a row, three times in two months. My doctor's like, your tonsils are coming out. And so he explained to me that if you take tonsils out late in life, and by the way, in the tonsil world, you really want to feel old. 19 is considered very old in the tonsil world. And he was like... It can, there can be some complications, and he didn't go into details, and he didn't need to because I got to live them firsthand. <laughs> so, like two days after the surgery, this is this is gross. This is so much grosser than vomit, by the way. I, I'm like, <clears throat> and I like taste blood. Yeah, and my mom is. This is, sounds like a side thing, but okay. My mom is a caffeine addict. Totally not, ooh, not an alcoholic, but like drinks so much co she she drinks coffee while she meditates like eyes closed <laughs> drinking coffee and so she always had these pint cups because you know when she needs when she leaves the house she needs to be drinking coffee so that is how i know that i lost a, a pint of blood because i was sitting there and i like had one of her cups and i was like coughing and like blood and 
clots. I mean, gross. And like, blood, blood. Sorry, I see someone's face. I apologize. Imagine living it. And, um, and, and so then my mom is like, we have to go to the hospital. And we go, we go to the hospital and the doctor meets us there. And he says, you don't want your doctor to say this. He says, this has never happened to me before. And he, I look at him and I realize that we're like, almost the same age. I think I was his first tonsillectomy. He was like, whatever, I, you, you know, to be, I don't know, he's probably 32. And he's like, okay, here we go. And he starts, um, <laughs> he had, he's like, I have to take a cauterizing stick to stop the wound, but I don't know where the wound is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's like, this is gonna hurt, so I'm gonna shoot Novocaine down your throat. And so if you have never had Novocaine shot down your throat, I don't think you know how disgusting Novocaine tastes. And then had a man gag you with a cauterizing stick trying to stop a wound he cannot see, you are very lucky. Um, so, so after that, for three weeks, I couldn't eat, let alone smoke. And so I, you know, I had gone you know, from two packs of cigarettes a day. And of course it turned out, this didn't occur to me at the time, what happens if you quit smoking two packs of cigarettes a day? You, well, thank you. Y yes. A, you can't, you start hacking. The reason I broke a suture in my throat is that I was hacking, just thinking like, oh, I'll just go from smoking two packs of cigarettes a day to like getting my tonsils out and not smoking. Anyway, I was off cigarettes for three weeks and I was going back to my senior year in college and I was like, this is great. I'm going to quit smoking. I'm off, you know, the, the, the withdrawal's over. I'm going to go back. And I was super self-righteous about it. I remember I got back and I was at a party and this guy Bill's like, hey, can I buy a cigarette? And I like turned to him and I was like, I quit smoking. <laughs> and I had like a real asshole. I had a pencil that was like white that, would, that I like would put in my mouth like a crazy, crazy person. And, um, and that lasted like three, four days, and I was back to smoking like someone who had not had, you know, lost pints of blood with like a cauterizing stick down her throat. And so, and smoking saw me through the lowest, lowest points of my addiction because as probably people in this room can attest, smoking and cocaine go better together than peanut butter and jelly, am I right? Yes. And it saw me they saw me through early sobriety. God, thank God, you know, rehab. Let's hear it up for sm smoking and rehab, you guys. Thank you. Oh, thank you. And, and meetings, too. It was like smoking after a meeting um, was like the new, like, smoking after doing coke in the bathroom. And, um, and then, so I just smoked, you know, and, I, and, and um, then I was nine months sober, and I went to a meeting on the west side with my friend Peter, and we went to dinner afterwards with this woman, Carrie, who had been sober forever. And she looked at, and I did what I normally did at dinner, which is I got up and I left twice to go outside by myself and smoke a cigarette. And what, the second time I did it, I come back and she's like, looks at me all earnestly and she's like, honey, why are you putting a smoke screen between you and God? <laughs> I may be about to ruin smoking for some of you. And I'm like, what? And she's like, honey, you know, getting sober and, and continuing to smoke, that's like switching seats in the Titanic. And I'm like, fuck. And it really affected me. But what affected me more said, I told her I had this, this crush on this guy and I never, this sober guy, I didn't know where he went to meetings. And she's like, well, 
he goes to the Nicotine Anonymous meeting on Monday nights. This was a Sunday night, 6 o'clock. And I'm like, does he? <laughs> She's like, I could save you a seat there tomorrow. And I'm like, yeah, you should. And so the next day, I, I knew I was going to that meeting. And so I decided not to smoke after like 2 o'clock. And, you know, because I was going to see this guy, and I was like, I don't want to reek of cigarettes. He probably thinks that's gross. So, um, so I don't, I don't smoke after two o'clock. I go to the meeting. I sit in between her and the guy, and he turns to me and he's like, "Fuck, this is so hard." I mean, right? And I realize he really thinks I'm doing this. You know, he thinks that we're going to bond over this. And I'm like, I know, hard is so much harder than getting sober, like just so hard. And he goes, fuck, do you want to go to coffee after just like talk about cravings? And I'm like, I need to talk about cravings at coffee. Yes, I do. And so after the meeting, he and I go to coffee and he tells me this long, very boring story about how he was in love with his cousin. <laughs> not like by, you know, like blood cut, not like by marriage. And I was instantly crush evaporated. I was like, huh. But by then it was like 8.30 and I hadn't smoked since 2 o'clock and I thought, I want to do like a weird experiment. I'm going to see what happens if I don't smoke the rest of the night. And so I didn't. And so then the next morning I was like, this is so weird. I hadn't gone like that long without smoking, you know, aside from being asleep in years. And so I was like, I'm going to see what happens if I don't smoke this morning and then this afternoon. And then here's what happened. I never smoked again. That was July 19th of 2000. Okay. Yeah, you, don't, don't, you won't clap when I tell you this. Just because I stopped does not mean it was easy. It was so brutal. I longed for the cauterizing stick choking me. <laughs> it was so, I was so insane from this withdrawal. I remember I went into Rite Aid trying to buy toothpaste and I walked out holding one of those um, like danishes that was like wrapped in the 70s. Like, I just haven't. And I, and I went back to that meeting. I started going to that Nicotine Anonymous meeting and I remember... You know when you don't get called on to share and you're pissed? You know that? I don't know about if you've ever done this. I went up and I yelled at the speaker. <laughs> Newcomers need to share. And she was like, honey, keep coming back. And I cried. That was my withdrawal from cigarettes. And I somehow transitioned into the most sanctimonious, judgmental ex-smoker ever. Like, I am the girl. Did it twice today. Walk by people smoke. I'm like, like, I'm just like that girl. And like, you know, this is a popular move in AA. People will be smoking outside a meeting and they'll be like, hey, and they want to take that hand to hug you. And I will say, most people will just put up with it. I'm like, sorry, I don't, I don't hug smokers. <laughs> like me. Isn't that weird? Um, so I don't know how that transition happened, but I know one thing, which is that uh, this 16-year-old me would be fucking horrified. Thank you.